Hey, we're in our summer series, and uh, I was sitting there thinking, they're going to turn brown soon. (laughs) Someone's going to have a lot of cleaning up to do. Uh, Yeah, we're in our summer series, and uh, last week Sandy um, spoke to us about uh, the book of Daniel, and uh, how Daniel as a young Israelite was... uh, Faithful to God in diet, in prayer and praise and obedience to uh, and upright to his boss, the king. And uh, along the way, children, he ate up all his vegetables and was strong. And then he survived the lion's den in a, an older age. But today, I want to talk to you about the book of Jonah. It's such a tiny little book. In my Bible, it's just two pages long. And it's tucked away, as the cartoon suggested to us, in the middle of those other minor prophets, as they're called in the Old Testament, the older part of the Bible. And, uh, but it's sort of one of my favourite stories. And uh, that will become evident as I go along uh, with this this morning. But if you were to ask, approach older people, particularly on the street, and ask them what the name Jonah meant to them, uh, many of them would say a jinx or a bad luck omen uh, because that comes from where he was considered by the sailors on that boat to be bad luck or a bad luck omen and they threw him overboard and uh, he spent a night in the drink. And um, so that, that concept of Jonah uh, as a bad luck omen gives Jonah bad press for all the wrong reasons, as we will see. Now, Jonah features very frequently and, and uh, very colourfully in a lot of children's Bible stories. And um, uh, very much so, it features uh, a big fish or even in some books, a whale and the story of Jonah in an abridged form. Um, but I want to suggest to you that um, it's really not a children's story. It's an adult story. It's an adult book. It's a book for serious adult contemplation. And uh, we will do that, uh, go through that in a moment. But if we were to, and the reason I say that is if we, if we were to do a word survey, which is uh, something that people who study English literature know all about, uh, if you were to do a word say of those four chap- word survey of those four chapters of, of, of Jonah, uh, you would find a very different um, answer to the fact that Jonah uh, and the whale or the fish feature prominently. But this morning, we're going to ask the children here to do the word survey for us. And so uh, as you came in, the children would have received a uh, children's pack. And on the front of that uh, is a, 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 an outline of a, a story that uh, the younger ones, the littlies, could uh, colour in if they'd like. And I've already seen some adults doing it. I'll assess your work later. And, and then inside on the next pages, there's the whole book of Jonah has been written there for you. And I want you to look through that. And each time you come across a word, the word fish or the word Jonah or the word God or the word Lord, underline it and then go back and count up the number of times each of those words appear. And you'll have conducted a word survey for us and we'll check your results a little bit later in the talk. So 
The story of Jonah features heavily in children's Bible stories. But today, you know, it might even surprise you that some people, even some Christians, still think of the story of Jonah as a fictional allegory. A fictional allegory is a made-up story that has a hidden meaning or message. And I've noted from my preparation for this that even some what we would call biblical scholars still regarded as a fictional allegory, something that's put in there to tell a, tell a message and not to be believed by its truth. Well, that's how some people see the Jonah story. A bit like Pilgrim's Progress, a story made up but with a very hidden meaning. But I believe in the biblical veracity or the biblical truth of the story of Jonah. And uh, I believe that the book of Jonah is a factual historical record, as are all the other history books in the Bible, in the texts of the Bible. And I want to give you uh, two very simple, direct uh, pieces of evidence for my, to support what I say. Firstly, there's the Old Testament history record. In the older part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the history books, we read in uh, the book of 2 Kings, these verses. He, King Jeroboam, was the, the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepha. See, Jonah was a real person in 7th century BC Israel. And he was actually a contemporary of uh, jo uh, King Jeroboam II, the 14th king of Israel, ancient Israel. So we have the Old Testament, Old Testament evidence that Jonah is a factual person. Secondly, Jonah is validated or uh, proven true by Jesus. In Matthew, in the New Testament, uh, that's the newer part of the Bible, in the first book of uh, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12, and it's also in Luke 11, we read these things. He, Jesus, answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The story of Jonah and the big fish is a true account according to Jesus. And because Jesus knew that the Old Testament books that he had access to were true. They were from God. And my logic goes like this. Jesus believed Jonah to be true, and I believe Jesus to be true, and I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and therefore I believe the entire account of Jonah. See, it's a circular argument, but it's, it's true. Here at Door of Hope, we say that we want to be or are a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world. 
So there's no way I could stand up here and tell you about an untrue story as if it was factual because that would not be true hope, would it? It wouldn't anchor that truth. Jesus uh, believed in Jonah. I believe in Jonah. And this is God's word. Now, Nineveh was... um, And also from from current news, uh, I don't know whether you keep up with the news much, but uh, what's happening in Iraq. But recently, um, as uh, Mosul was captured, uh, recaptured by the Iraqi forces from the Islamic State, um, they found in the ruins of one of the buildings there that had been bombed to destruction uh, by the relieving forces, they found the palace of Ezzahaddon, who was a king from 681 to 669 in Assyria, they found uh, ruins of his palace and the ancient city of Nineveh over the other side of the river is actually on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. So it puts all this into context. This is uh, a, a story that takes place in ancient history, but it has relevance because Mosul is very much in the news. Mosul is the old city of Nineveh. And uh, this city was destroyed in, in 612 BC, about 100 years after Jonah had preached there and the city had repented for a time. So the Old Testament record and Jesus' belief tells us that Jonah's uh, real and the book of Jonah is factual. Not just a little talk about the uh, one that nearly got away. It's more about a runaway prophet, in fact. Now, I want to go from there, having established that the book of Jonah is a factual account, to very, having a brief overview of seven themes that I find has occur, have occurred in the book of Jonah. Most sermons only have one point or maybe three because they say that's all we can generally latch onto in this sort of time. But I've got seven, but don't panic. <laughs> I don't want you to be thinking, oh, can't keep up with this. I want you to do as you listen to me speak briefly about each of these themes you grab onto the one that relates to you and ignore the rest. In fact, let your mind wander, explore it, and during the week, follow that through uh, with some study and so on. So don't uh, be overwhelmed by the fact that there are seven. So the first theme I want to talk about uh, this morning is God is interested in all people. And that all there means all. No one is out of God's view or concern. His love even extended to Israel's enemies, as we read in the first two verses of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me or come to my attention. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire in the 7th century BC. It was a large city. It was Gentile, that was, it wasn't Jewish or Israeli or Israelite, uh, and therefore the natural, unfortunately, the natural enemies of the uh, Israelis. And um, they had been causing all sorts of trouble for Israel and Judah. And uh, Jonah, like many of his contemporaries in the Israelite nation, didn't believe that God was interested in Gentiles. They believed that 
uh, God was only their God and nobody else's. And uh, so God was interested in all people, even the enemies of Israel. He was also, God was also interested in a runaway prophet, somebody who was disobedient to God. God was still interested in him. And then we read in the second chapter, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. So Jonah did a lot of soul searching when he was in that smelly hotel inside the fish. And uh, he had a lot of time in there, three days and three nights, to think about what he'd done in, in rebellion against God. And he agreed with God, if God rescued him, he would go to Nineveh. So that's the first theme I want to pick up. The second one is mankind is accountable to God. All people are accountable to God. And in the uh, uh, second verse we, say, we read, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. As God looked down on the people of Assyria, he saw that their wickedness, and particularly in the city of Nineveh, was very great. And he calls them to account. Preach to them, he says to Jonah, as I've asked, I will, and I will call them to account for their behaviour. Tell them their time is up in 40 days unless they repent from their lifestyle. And uh, so the Assyrians were being held to account and understood this concept. But also the sailors, the heathen sailors on the ship where Jonah was, eventually... Uh, they even understood this concept of accountability to God. In, in, in verse 10 we read, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew Jonah was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. So even the heathen sailors understood this accountability with Almighty God and so they wanted to deal with that by uh, dealing with Jonah. Mankind is accountable to God. I am accountable to God. You are accountable to God. We are accountable to God. And it's not just a principle coming through from, from the Old Testament and from um, Jonah, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the newer part of the Bible, in the New Testament, when he's writing to the Roman church in uh, chapter 14, verse 12, he says this, so then each of us, shall give an account of himself to God. That is, we shall be giving an account for the way that we live uh, and relate to others and relate to God. So mankind is accountable to God. The third theme is you can't run from God. You can't run from God. When my uh, younger sister was a very little blonde-headed girl about that height, she used to wander down our back path. If you were looking for her, she'd cover her eyes. And because she couldn't see you, she believed we couldn't see her. And what Jonah did is almost as basic as that. He tried to run away from God. And uh, if we were to have a look at um, the map of, uh, of um, that time, we would see in uh, chapter... Uh, 1 verses 1 to 3 uh, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And he was originally asked to go about uh, 500 miles northeast of Palestine, but he bought a ticket on a ship to head about 2,000 miles west of Joppa uh, from Palestine. And Tarshish in those days was on the southeast corner of Spain and uh, considered by the men of that era to be literally the ends of the earth. So Jonah was prepared to run to the end of the earth to get away from God's request of him. Uh, About 300 years before Jonah, King David, the psalmist, king of Israel, uh, wrote this in uh, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You see, you can't run from God. None of us can run from God. Noah, uh, Jonah couldn't run from God either. And then theme four. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. His love is very plentiful and abundant. So Jonah eventually uh, obeyed God and went to Nineveh after the second commission to go and he preached and warned the Ninevites and they repented. And uh, we read in uh, chapter 4, Jonah saying, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You can just picture Jonah saying, I knew it. He's in a big sulk. Merciless Jonah. I knew you'd show mercy on our enemies, and I'm so angry that I'd rather die. Talk about a sulk. I don't know too many modern preachers who, if they had 120,000 people repent after a short sermon, would be sulking and going crooked God about it. This is a failure. How miserable. And then uh, towards the end in uh, chapter 4, we read these verses. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left 
and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah was more worried about a plant than he was about 120,000 plus people in Nineveh. And the fifth theme is people can change. God is a change agent and Nineveh changed when God gave them the option, repent or be destroyed in 40 days. I don't know who many, too many who wouldn't. But then it, it began with the king. as He heard the, heard the sermon of Jonah. He repented. He put sackcloth on. He sat in ashes as an image of humility and surrender. And then he issued a proclamation that all people would fast. Sackcloth, put on sackcloth, everyone to turn from their evil ways and violence. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, in Jonah chapter 3 it says, uh, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. So people can change. People can and do change. And then the sixth theme is, but repentance requires work. People can change, but repentance requires work. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. It did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And the key word there in that verse is turned, which implies an action or a work. Repentance is a process, a change of mind leading to a change of direction. A change of mind when the people repented God relented and Jonah sulked. And the final theme, God is sovereign over all his creation. And this is a a theme that's sort of evident right throughout the book, not in any one particular point, but right throughout. It's a reminder that God is sovereign over all his creation. And we see listed there his control of the wind, the fish, over Jonah, king of Nineveh, a plant, and a worm. So I guess if God is sovereign over a worm, there's hope for even me. The sovereign, of course, is the king, and uh, numero uno, as they would say, God has control over him and all his created order. And 120,000 people had repented. Now, some scholars suggested that 120,000 who didn't know their right hand from their left hand meant that they were so young, there were 120,000 under a certain age who didn't know their right from their left. But I don't know. It's at least 120,000 plus people repented and changed their ways. And meanwhile, Jonah sulked. And so what a miserable success Jonah was. There's a picture of him sitting, sulking. And uh, the last we hear of Jonah in the book is he is sitting outside of Nineveh sulking because of what God has done in giving the Ninevites a chance to repent. We don't know what happened after that. The story doesn't continue on and his name doesn't occur again in the Old Testament. But one wag cartoonist has suggested that this is what happened to Jonah. Earlier I asked... 
the children to uh, conduct a word survey of Jonah, and uh, I'm going to give them the answers now and see if uh, they have answers anything like mine. And by my reckoning, fish, the word fish occurs four times. The word Jonah, or the name Jonah, occurs 18 times. The word God occurs 15 times. And the Lord, which is another name for God, 22 times, making that a total of 37. So it's obvious, children, isn't it, that the emphasis in the book of Jonah is really about God. Not the fish, nor in fact Jonah, based on the subject matter alone. So to just to briefly recap, as we sit and prepare to conclude our service this morning and take these thoughts into the week, you can't run from God. God is sovereign over all creation. God is interested in all people. Mankind is accountable to God. God is gracious gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. People can change. And repentance requires work of change. And as we sift those this morning as you latch on to whichever one of those speaks most to you can I encourage you to pursue that this week as you reflect on it in your 20 minutes in the chair and uh, for each of us no matter where we sit on our uh, uh, hope pathways whether we're a uh, friend or an explorer or right through to being a uh, fully devoted follower of Christ Uh, There's something here that might give us a chance to grow if we allow it to. So I'd encourage you to reflect on this this morning. We can't run from God, but God is gracious and compassionate and is abounding in love and would welcome each of us to his throne of grace. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you this morning for your goodness for your mercy, for your patience and for your ability to forgive and relent and your ability to give us capacity to change uh, and turn our minds and direction to you. So I pray that as we go this morning, uh, there will be uh, encouragement to each of us from your word and this story this morning. Amen.